I've been freed from the bondage of standing exactly here. So. so good morning, brothers and sisters. Welcome. For those of you who are just coming this morning, a special welcome to you. We're glad you're here and pray the Lord will catch you up on all that, that's happened already. Let's turn to a couple of scriptures before we pray. Philippians 3.14, our theme verse for the weekend. And we'll pick up in verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to be apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that's <clears throat> that last verse is, of course, our, our theme verse. Matthew 24, starting with verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his things or all goods. And turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. Paul's writing here. He says, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Beginning of verse 10 again. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now jump on, on back in the Bible to 1 John chapter 2. And verse 28. And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Let's abide in Him, John urges, that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. So please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the words of Paul that you've given to us for this weekend and throughout um, Scripture. And we thank you now for this chance to consider this matter of meeting you face to face as we look ahead toward our future and, and that day. We do ask for your um, opening of our ears and hearts and minds to understand you. And as we've just been praying and singing that we can know you better. For Lord, you are indeed the one we want to know. And we love the fact that we're known by you, our precious Savior. Do bless um, us in this time. Do commit, ask for a special provision for my voice um, and for all of us to uh, eagerly respond to you. In Christ's name, we pray. So, <clears throat> I uh, need some help for this message, and um, 
I'm not. I'm going to pull a name out of a hat here. And it says Noah Chen. Is he here? Is Noah here? No, he's not. Oh shoot. He was the name I wanted to. Have. Let's see. I have to go with someone. Someone else. How about Newston? Come on up. Now, for those of you who don't know, there's a big blue X on the floor up here. So have you seen it? See the blue X? You can stand on it, Newston. No, you stand on it. No, nothing's going to fall okay. on you. All right. No. And you're okay. facing that way. Yep. So, you'll see why in a minute. As I uh, considered the theme and was praying to the Lord, a simple thought kept coming to my heart as we think about these verses. This, our theme verse has us looking forward to what the Lord has promised, what He's giving, what He's doing, and a really sing, a single thought just kept coming to me. And it's this, that it's very, very clear in the words of our Lord Jesus and in the letters of the New Testament that you and I, every single one of us, will stand before Christ at some point in time on that day. Dustin is representing that here. So, there's nothing here except your imagination and two searchlights. The lights of Christ shining on you. But the judge is here. And Newston is standing before him to help as we consider this topic. You won't have to be here the whole time because I'm going to ask some others to come up. Not just one. But this is a serious matter. We all are going to stand before him just as Newston is standing before the Lord as an illustration. And we don't know how it happens. We don't know how it's going to happen, whether the Lord's going to return tomorrow. We don't know if it's going to be through the rapture or it's going to be through our own personal death, which for me will be a lot earlier than yours. We don't know when. Um, And I'm going to say this right now just to get out of the way. Those of us here in Queens are feeling this intensely today that we don't know when. Because someone extremely dear to us passed away yesterday in an accident at work. So I'm not going to give you any more details than that. But we never know when our time is up. We never know. So it's important for us to recognize that this is going to happen. And it's a fact. What I mean by a fact is that it's so clear from Scripture. um, It's not some mysterious thing that Paul or some of the other writers decided to come up with. It is, in fact, where we're headed. So, with with Newston's help and the help of others I drag up here um, to stand in this spot, the blue X, we're going to spend this time this morning meditating on this fact. So, are you ready, Newston? That's a loaded question. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. In fact, I've been dying for this moment. 
All right, we're going to move through a lot of scripture quickly. So if you're taking notes, you might just jot down the scripture and look it up later. Um, we're going to start with Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. Matthew 7, verse 22, the Lord is speaking. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Uh, this is a general warning about people coming in their midst. But now he's going to get personal. He says, even so, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Now, are you uh, today, can I, I ask a question, are you a good tree or a bad tree? Jesus is warning about the bad ones coming in their midst. Are you a good tree or a bad tree? Newston, don't, you don't have to say anything. He's just pondering it up here. And if you were up here, you'd be pondering it because the Lord's right there. Are you a good tree or a bad tree? Right now, if it were you, are you comfortable where, where you are with the Lord? If you are standing before the Lord right now, are you comfortable? Verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we have, not, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, says Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, what will you say before the Lord? What will Newston say before the Lord? Are you going to say to the Lord, well, I was a good Christian. My parents were good Christians and I was a good Christian. Everyone thought I was a good boy or a good girl. And that's what I have to say. What will you say? I went to church. I even went to the youth weekend conference in Flushing. But, if you're not a good tree, which means if you haven't received Christ, the Lord may just say to you, I never knew you. As was mentioned yesterday several times. If we don't receive Him and have that relationship, we don't really know Him. And we are still a bad tree. That's all there is to it. There is no middle ground. You either have Christ in you and you've been made a good tree by Him or you're a bad tree. And He has to say, I never knew you. It didn't matter that your parents were good Christians. It didn't matter that you tended and you were good. It didn't matter. These those things don't matter. What matters is, are you good from the inside? And the only way that happens is if Christ is in you. So are you a good tree or a bad tree? So very sobering way to start. So do you really know the Lord personally? Each one of you here. If not, that day when you meet Him is going to be an ugly day. 
If not, get started and settle it in your heart today, this weekend, because he's just waiting to receive you. That's all it takes. Turn your heart to the Lord. He'll do everything else and come into your life. And you'll be one of the ones singing like we did this morning. Say, I know the Lord. Before I was saved, I said, someone said, do you know the Lord? I'd say, not really. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm being honest. I'm not sure. After receiving the Lord, someone put a gun to my head. I would say, I know the Lord. There's just, you know, I don't know a lot else. I don't know much about Christ. But I know the Lord. I have met Him. So meet Him. Meet Him now. Get settled in your heart. Say to God, God, if you're there, I want to know you. And He'll respond. He'll respond. So that's a very sobering way to start. And I'm sure, but we all, I'm pretty sure Newston's not in this category. And most of you are not. But let's go on to, to par- a parable of Jesus and in Matthew 25. Thank you for hanging in there. Don't faint on me. Matthew 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Now, we all know this story very, very well. So, he gave five, two, and one, and then he went away, and he's going to come back. So, let's think about this from your point of view. The Lord's blessed each of you in many, many, many ways. Many of you have been blessed. Just think about it. What has He given you? Like in all the world, you're in the top 1%. I know that makes you feel guilty, but... You're in the top 1% of all the world in terms of comfort and stuff in this country. If you think of the whole world. But spiritually and culturally, most of you have grown up in families that have integrity and love and care. And you have the Lord in your life. And you're in your parents' life. Or it's a grandmother or it's, or it's an aunt. The Lord has blessed you in tremendous ways. And the Lord has given each of you all kinds of abilities that once we give our lives to the Lord are available to Him. So just in a simple way, let's just view it. The Lord gives us talents. He says, here, I'm giving you these blessings. They're from me, but they're yours. And now go do something with it. Go In the case of talents, it's business. So you go do business. But the point is, we're supposed to take what the Lord gives and then and work with it and, and, and bring about more. So you have been blessed and you have been given the, the, the symbolic talents, right? Verse 16, then he, who, then he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made another five. And likewise, one received two, two more. But he who received one went and dug in, the, dug, dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So, you, servant... The Lord is going to come, and when you meet Him, on that day, He's going to settle His accounts. And we're going to look and see what happened to those five talents, or those two talents, and all those blessings He's given you. It's a face-to-face meeting that's going to come about. Verse 20, So he who received five talents came and brought five others, saying, 
Lord, you delivered me five. Look, I gained five more besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Let's listen carefully. He says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So we have, we see now the results. This one gained five talents. And he could say, Lord, look, look, you gave me and now I give back to you more. And then the Lord can commend him. Say, well done. This is beautiful. This is what we wanted. This is, this is a good thing. And they could be commended. And then there's rewards given. Rewards. I will give you rewards because you've been proven faithful. Notice that the reward far exceeds the deed. Exceeds the deed. The deeds are this big. The reward is what? Ruler over many things. In other places, it's ruler over cities. And it may actually be cities for a thousand years. But we're not going there today. But the point is, the reward is, we did this much. And he's rewarding us this, this much. Much, much more. And then that last phrase, enter into the joy of your Lord. How do you put a price tag on that? Here's this reward. I'm going to have you be responsible for tremendous things, Newston. And on top of that, you get to enter into the joy that God has in seeing his will worked out. Wow. I can't put a price tag on that. How wonderful. We skip way down to verse 29. For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But for him who does not have, even what he has... Even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, a lot of times we struggle with that verse because this really is, this parable is about this judgment seat of rewards. But if you miss out on the rewards, what are you going to have? Regret. That's gnashing of teeth. If we had an opportunity to be with the Lord for the thousand years, and we miss out, what are we going to do for a thousand years? We're going to regret. So that's the way the Lord illustrates this. So why does the Lord share a parable like this? You know, in other religions, stories are just made up. You know, things like, well, how did the earth get created? Well, the turtle did this, and that, da, 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 and this God did this, and he gave birth to that, and everyone makes up myths. Jesus' parables are not like that. They are illustrations of spiritual fact. Right? And he didn't tell us stories about him going away and coming back just because they were nice stories, that we would behave because of that. He told it because it's true. There's no reason for, us, for him to give us these parables unless they were spiritually representing what's going to happen. If they're figurative, they don't tell us exactly how or where, but that doesn't mean they're not true. And right here in this one parable, what do we see about this judgment day? The, the, this judgment seat, the judgment of Christ we're talking about. We see, one, the fact that our spiritual leader of this kingdom is going to go away and he's coming back. And when he comes back, or when you go to meet him, you are going to face him. Fact. 
when we face him, there'll be a review of our fruit of our life. And then there'll be commendation and there'll be reward. Those basics are all there in that one parable. And I think Newston deserves a rest. So I'll pull another name out of the hat here. The last one didn't work. But Abigail Toe, I think, is here. Abigail, are you ready? <laughs> the right answer is no, but <laughs> if you want to be spiritual about it. But if your answer is really no, then it's yes. You know what I mean. See the X? All right. Face that way. Don't. You can look at me, but... You know, really, you're looking at your judge. So what is going to happen when we meet our Lord? What is Abigail going to be going through at this moment? So let's go to Galatians chapter 3 to turn into this for this part. Chapter 3, verse 3 says, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work. And then he... We, he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let him who is... Forget verse 6. Alright, so we see here in Galatians this idea that Paul is saying that we have to be sober about ourselves. Okay, examine yourself. I'm sure Abigail does that. Right? Does Abigail have too high a view? No, I don't want to get into that. We're not judging her. God is. <laughs> so, but this verse makes very clear that we are to be sober about ourselves. What's real? Are we in terms of our spiritual life? But we're talking about the moment that we meet Jesus. So the next verse turns to what we really care about here is that God is the one judging. Not us. We're not judging each other. All right? It's our judge who's judging and us. So in verse 7 it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. So when we're considering our situation, we can't fool God. No matter what, how good we think we are, and we come up with the reasons, it doesn't matter. God is not fooled. We can't fool God. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So in God's sight, he knows what you've really sown and what the fruit is of your life. Whether other people see it or not, he knows what's truly there. He knows if it's a good tree, a good fruit. He sees it. He watches it. And, um, and verse 8, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So, when this day comes, when we have our that day, it will be a matter of looking at our lives soberly as God sees it. Uh, turn back to Matthew, if you will, chapter 15. Verse 7, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah say about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth defiles a man. Now you and I know that God sees are every thought. So whatever good act, and I was very good at this. I was a good boy in high school, you know. I could put on a good presentation. 
but I was raw sin. I, mean, I was sin inside. So it doesn't matter our act. God sees the heart. So here, this famous verse we all understand it is that is that the the Jews were worshiping God on the surface, but God saw their heart and how insincere it was, and it meant nothing to Him. So we know when God judges us, He goes piercing right in <laughs> to our heart and our motives. All right, so that's what's going to happen. Uh, Romans 2, verse 16, very short verse. In the, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. So on that day, our secrets will be judged by Jesus Christ. So Abigail's secrets. Like right now. If Abigail's secrets were broadcast across the board here, would they be pleasing to the Lord? Or, or what about your secrets? Our thoughts, our words. Let's think of words. Matthew 12, verse 36. Matthew 12, verse 36. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. Evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. There's the good tree, bad tree. But as I say, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Every idle word will give account of. For by your words you will be justified, by your words you'll be condemned. This one really strikes me. We may say all the right words when we're in a group situation, but how often are we how often do our words show a different heart in different situations? And yet the Lord is saying in that verse, He's saying, I'm gonna hold you accountable because every word matters. And we know in our lives words are extremely powerful. Um, almost as important as our actions, because a word can lift someone up, a word can bring life and joy, a word can crush, a word can condemn. So our words are really, really important. And then Paul provides another angle um, about this moment. Thank you for hanging in there, Abigail. Uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay that than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now, so in this illustration, we see uh, Paul is very 
concerned, as you know, the church in Corinth had a lot of mixture of stuff. Things were coming in. Teaching was coming in. So he's concerned in the church about uh, building only that which is of Christ. But notice in verse 13, he says, each one's work. So this applies to you and I. This applies to what we do with our lives. So if we build a lot of wood, hay, and stubble, then when the fire comes, it's, it's gone. But if what happens in our life is something that gold rep, is represented by gold or silver or precious stones, it will last. And of course, those are the things that, that, that really have the life of Christ in them. So, at that time when we meet our Lord, all of our deeds and thoughts become visible. Now, many of us have the experience, many of you spend time online. And right now there's this phenomenon where every now and then something will go viral and everyone sees it. Or we have a lot of people getting caught where some emails they wrote or um, Instagrams or things like that become public. And all of a sudden, somebody's sin is broadcast over the whole world. It's kind of an analogy, right? If you had your thoughts. In fact, most of you know Snapchat. Isn't the essence of Snapchat that they erase it, right? Someone confirm that? That's the whole point of it. But you know the origin of that? It has to do with pornography. Those who started that company, were do, the reason it took off is because people had something to hide. That's why they started using Snapchat, because they were trusting that they would erase whatever it was, which means already when you're doing it, you have something to hide. Isn't that interesting? And sad, really. But... God doesn't erase the file. Ever. Well, actually, forgets, he does forgive and forget. But God doesn't erase the file in the way Snapchat doesn't does, right? There is no such thing as going, oops, I'll talk about it this way and God will never find out. Forget about it. He found out already. He knows already your thoughts and your deeds. So imagine each one of you Right now, if every one of your emails and every one of your Facebook entries and every one of your chats and every one of your Snapchat comments and any picture you have put online were now published to the whole world. Everybody comfortable with that? I hope you're comfortable with it. Well, it's sort of like that, only it's all going to happen like this and it's going to be in front of Christ and it's going to be His light shining. Not quite like that, but those little lights up there. It's warm. And in Revelation, how does it, it speak of our Lord? It's, well, let's look at it in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. There's our judge. Clothed with garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like flame of fire. His eyes like fire. So there we are with our wood, hay, and stubble. There she is, Abigail, and she's got lots of precious stones, I'm sure, gold and silver. 
And there's wooden heads telling, here comes the fire of God's sight, the flame of his light. And that other stuff just goes poof. It just burns up, doesn't it? It can't stand to be in the presence of God. And God doesn't want to take that garbage into eternity. Think about it. Do you want to go into eternity with my wood, hay, and stubble? My garbage? My baggage? I don't want to go into eternity with yours. Do you agree? I hope so. So the fire of the Lord's judgment, His light come down, that is going to burn. Now, whether it's physically burning up, this verse, of course, speaks of other things. We have tribulations and other things which are like fire, and that has that same effect. Sometimes we go through fire now, and those things just disappear because they're so unimportant. They just get burned up. But it's certainly going to happen then. So the image of the Lord, the light of the Lord coming down at that moment, He, our judge, knew no sin. He's the ultimate judge right now. So that things that you're not a proud of or not and are ashamed of, those are going to burn up. That which is out of line with the Lord's life is, is not going to last. Those things are things that are in line with what he wants. His life will last. So it's easy to imagine that the negative stuff is just going to go up in smoke. Now you and I want to live so there's much gold and silver and precious stones in that moment, don't we? We want to be those where he would say to us, you've been faithful in, in little, and I'll give you much. So that when we stand before him, all right, one other verse related to this. Matthew back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. Jesus right says, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven or treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven." where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So that wonderful phrase, treasures in heaven, means so much. You know that what we're talking about there was someone trying to build up worldly goods and store it all up. And the Lord says, no, you should be storing up treasures in heaven. And what is that? I mean, that's something for a whole lifetime to understand what that is. But certainly, acts of love with God's love in us toward others, or obedience, or devotion to the Lord, uh, giving to others, sharing the gospel, things that the Lord is in and, and enables us are going to be those, those treasures in heaven. Because when we meet our Lord, those things are going to be of value. They're going to please Him and they're going to please us because they're of Him. So may we all live our lives such that treasures in heaven are being stored up because of what we're doing each day. Thank you, Abigail. <laughs> now i got to pick somebody.
Unless Noah showed up late. Isaac, would you dare? I have two Isaacs to choose from, but you. Come stand. Now, we've been considering what happens at this moment when we meet the Lord, the judgment seat of Christ. So, if I haven't been clear, that first one was really more about whether we're with the Lord or not. But if you are the Lord's, the judgment seat that we're talking about is the judgment of reward. It's not about being banished into hell. It's about rewarding and having a place, as Daniel mentioned yesterday, about having a place during the millennium. It's having responsibilities. We don't know the details, but the Lord makes very, very clear He's going to give us responsibilities. Some of some of you, maybe not me, maybe I'm going to have a bad day. <laughs> so, it, this is about reward. So what we want to do now is turn our shift a little bit. So we understand what's going to happen, which is the light of the Lord. Your life is reviewed. But now let's shift. Let's shift and turn our attention to looking at the judge. Let's look at our judge. So Isaac's going to... I know you're just looking up at ugly tiles, but we're now going to turn our attention to look at our judge. Let's turn to Matthew 18. Another parable. Sorry. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have mercy on me. I, I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. So, very famous story. Of course, this comes right after Peter was asking, well, how many times do I have to forgive? And it's about forgiveness. But let's focus on the different part of this parable which is clearly, this is the kingdom of heaven is like. So this, this master represents Christ. And this person, maybe it's Isaac here, he, it's time to settle accounts and he owns this master millions. We won't go into the numbers, but you all know it. It's millions. Like, he could never pay it. The fact is he's totally in debt. He cannot pay this amount, even if he gave him years. And yet he goes to, his response to the master is, he pleads with him and asks for patience. And verse 27, the master of that servant was, moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Now we know the rest of the story is that this servant was now released and he went and one of his servants owed him like $100 or something. And he didn't forgive him. He had that man thrown in the prison. And of course, once the big master found out about it, he undid what he had done. So the lesson to us was, 
if we're forgiven infinite amount, we should be very forgiving. But let's focus on the master forgiving Isaac. <laughs> this Isaac. Or you. He didn't just release this servant to give him more time to pay up. Right? He didn't say, okay, I'll give you another six months or another year. He said, I, he forgave him his debt. And this is such a good picture of us. We're in a situation where we're hopeless. When it comes to pleasing God, becoming that good tree, we have no way to, to please God, right? We are hopeless. It doesn't matter how many years we try to make ourselves good. Now, many times you meet people who are trying to make themselves good. Really, you should be on high alert. Because if they're seeking God and trying to do that, the Lord's working on them. But we know from experience or from teaching that we can't make ourselves righteous. So from a picture point of view, that person would never able to pay off that debt, no matter how many years. And yet the Master forgave him the whole thing, the millions and millions and freedoms. So that's such a picture of the Lord's with us. You are, and we, I am hopeless, and yet the Lord, our King, our Judge, has released us from all debt. So this Judge that we will face on that day is the one who has released us from all debt. He's the one who's shown compassion on us. He's the one who took, by the love of the Father, passed through Him and brought Him here he went all the way to the cross for you and me because of that love. His compassion did it. And then He released us. And He didn't just release us from sin, but He released us from the bondage of sin, the limitations and the struggle because we're stuck as sinners. He also released us from live, living meaningless lives. Without the Lord, our lives are all just about what? Satisfying the moment. And then it doesn't last. But you and I have been released from all of that into living a life where everything matters. I mean, things matter. And uh, into a life where we can experience love and life of God. He did that. He released us. And he, and he, because He forgave us all our debt. He, he didn't just forgive us our sins or the sins we committed up to the moment or our sins into the future. He, he forgave us our sinful nature. Right? He took it to death on the cross. The more we go into it, the more we realize the Lord has released us from all debt. We're not just forgiven, but our Savior. He's our Savior who died for us. So our judge has released us. And how did He do it? He died for us. How did He release us? How did He pay that debt? Let's just take another glimpse like we did yesterday. Go to John 19, please. Almost there. John 19, verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a, a purple robe. And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. 
Now, yesterday, Daniel showed you a picture of the thorn of crowns that Jesus was wearing. I don't know about you, but I used to, I used to do a lot of stuff with trees when I was growing up. And, and, I, and where I was in Kentucky, the locust trees had these big thorns on them. And I would go out and trim trees and whatever. And those thorns on those trees are sharp. And they hurt tremendously. So when you see that crown of thorns, it's not like... It's just, there's nothing gentle about it. Literally, when they put it on his head, those thorns would be piercing in. And that's just the beginning. That's the crown he wore. As they called out, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing out to you that you may know and that I find no fault in him. And Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Now here's our judge who is presented as the man. The man who's humiliated. The man who's degraded. The man who's wearing a crown of thorns for only one reason, which is for us. And they cried out, it says there in verse 6, Crucify him, crucify him. So our judge is the one who was tortured, humiliated, and then crucified. Verse 16, then they delivered him to be crucified. And then it's during that crucifixion process, of course, that they took, they took the spikes and put them in his hands, nailed them into his hands. Now, actually, probably it was here. Hand, I think the Greek hand means this, and it may have actually gone in here. Whether it goes here or here, it doesn't matter. It hurts. Those, those went into our Lord Jesus as they nailed him to the cross. Let's turn to John 20. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And he said to them, Unless I see his hands, I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them, and Jesus came, the doors being shut. So he just shows up and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Now, I identify with Thomas because I was such a skeptic. I didn't become a Christian until I was 20 years old. I was one of these show-me guys. You know, Lord, I don't want to believe you because I don't want to believe a, a myth. It's not a decision. Show me. Uh, now I understand I was very selfish. But anyway, it was show me, Lord. You know, prove yourself to me. So I'm, I understand what Thomas was doing. He's saying, you guys, you guys are all having hallucinations <laughs> You want to see Jesus so much, you're making this up. I'm not going to believe it till I see him. Well, <laughs> Thomas, <laughs> he just walked through that door. Uh, actually, he walked through the wall. Like he, like he just showed up. And what's he say? He says, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand and put it on my side. And you could just see Thomas reaching out and looking at that massive scar which somehow is in Jesus' resurrected body. That scar is still there. And Thomas says what? 
Verse 28, Thomas answered and said to them, My Lord and my God. He believed. So, you and I are going to meet this judge on that day. We don't know when that day is. This judge is the judge with nail-pierced hands. They're pierced for you. That's the judge we're going to meet. What is your response? Isaac, that's, that's your judge. I hope you're rejoicing. You can go back. Thanks. So now I want to have every one of you come up on the spot, figuratively. So imagine you're on the spot as we continue our meditation. There's something that happens that's very special when you and I look at our judge. Let's look at 1 John chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Let's read it again. This is John being, you know, John's John. Behold, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Now, this is a beautiful picture looking ahead to a time that's not yet here. Looking ahead and notice the element of what's going to happen is that we're going to see Him more. We're going to be in His presence. We're going to see Him more. And... What does it imply here? That by seeing Him, we're transformed. It changes us to see Him. We know that when He is revealed, we will be like Him. Now, it's not just a timing thing. There's something that happens in us as we see Him more and more. For we shall see Him as He is. So I know this is a little more... um, mysterious or whatever, but it's a fact that this judge that we're facing is a transforming judge. In other words, just by us being in his presence and considering him and looking at him, he does something in our lives. He does, he works in us. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We see something along this line. And this is, of course, the famous love chapter from Paul, chapter 13. But verse 9, he says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. In other words, when the end comes, this prophecies and... um, our knowledge will pass away because now we'll have full knowledge. 
When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So we're talking about our maturity. But let's look at verse 12. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. So back then the mirrors weren't as clear as they are now. Mirrors really were less than the real thing. So we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall, I shall know just as I also am known. And so what Paul is saying here is that when we're in the presence of the Lord and we see him, all those partial things are just going to fall away. They're not important. But he knows us fully and now we're going to know him as we sang this morning to know him. We're going to know him as he knows us. There'll be a full knowing going on because we're seeing him. Not because of buildup of knowledge, but because we're seeing him. So just by keeping our eye on him and watching him and learning from him, he does a work in us and that'll accelerate in the time ahead. But it's also true now. It's true for us each day as we, as we live this life. The more, a lot of our growth, we, we think it comes from building up knowledge, but a lot of it comes when we see the Lord more clearly. And He does something in us. That's what transforms us. So our judge is the one who transforms us with His love. It's that love that does it. But He transforms us. And one other thing we want to consider about the judge, which is, goes back to the basics of that day and the judgment seat. Let's turn back to Matthew 24. We read this verse earlier. So we read Matthew 24. Uh, verse 46, we'll read this time. Blessed is the servant whom his, master, whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. In other words, the servant who's doing what his master asked him to do. When his master just shows up. Assuredly, I say to you, he will, he will make him ruler over all his goods. And the fact, what I want to point out now here is, this judge is our rewarding judge. He is the one who's going to reward. Now, we think of judges in a courtroom and what do they hand out? Punishment. <laughs> right? It's all about punishment. The best thing you can do is a not guilty. Woohoo, I'm free. They didn't catch me. <laughs> but this judge, this judgment seat is all about reward. Of course, there is gnashing of teeth if you miss out on it. It's a horrible thing. But this is about reward. And think of it this way. This judge wants to give out the rewards. He longs to give out these rewards. He's looking for those who bring the gold and, and silver and precious stones. He's looking for the ones who have been faithful so he can give responsibility in, in, in eternity. This is the judge who wants to reward. <coughs> Excuse me. 
And that's what's going to happen. There will be reward. Chapter 25 of Matthew. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. We already we talked about that verse, but when you think of another negative image, we have a judge handing out uh, handing out punishments. But in, in game shows, you have negative judges where you get the buzzer. Right? You come up here, you stand, and then your life out. <laughs> Next person come up here. The judge is like, oh yeah. No, you have this problem. You have this problem. You're out. Now, hopefully you understand that's the opposite of this judge. Our judge here is longing to give rewards. And then as we said earlier about verse 21, how beautiful it is that he's, his reward exceeds all of our deeds. It, it includes even his own joy that we get to participate in. By the way, that's something we get to participate in now the joy of our Lord now um, when we serve Him. 1 Corinthians 3. Let's turn there. Now, that's, this is the, verse 12 was the wood, hay, stubble and the gold, silver, precious stones. Okay? But now we want to look at verse 14 especially. If anyone's work which he has built on uh, uh, which... If anyone's work, which he has built on it, that is the foundation of Christ, if any of our work endures, it can pass the test of of fire, or it can pass that shining light of our judge, then, what's it say? He will receive a reward. There will be a reward for that. As we said earlier, there's no reason for uh, the Lord, through Scripture, to to tell us these things unless they represent the fact. And then turn to Matthew 16, verse 27. And this, Daniel touched on this verse a little bit yesterday. Well, let's, we're focusing on reward here. Starting at verse 24, let's start. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his work. So even in this very famous verse where the Lord let, sets us out, as, as Daniel talked about yesterday, this path of cro- the cross for us. Even as he sets that out, he reminds us and states emphatically that he's coming and he's going to, to reward. He will reward for, according to our works. And that's the positive reward we see um, coming about on um, the judgment of Christ, judgment seat. So in the time left, let's spend time thinking, now that we've considered our judge and this moment and this fact, 
let's think some about our response. And mostly this is just going to be reading some scriptures. So I hope at least somehow you've come up and stood on this spot today in your mind and think about that day which will come when you stand before him. What is your response to this judge that we will face? Let's look at 1 John 3, 2 again. We're going back to some same verse. We read verse 2. And I'll read it again, but then verse 3, let's consider ourselves for this moment. Verse 2, 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. In other words, we're going to become much more. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So as we think of this fact that God is transforming us, just by the fact that we're focused on him and our eyes on him, verse 3, and everyone who has this hope in him does what? Purifies himself just as he is pure. So as we're gazing at our, our Lord and his purity, what's our gut instinct? in response, is to purify ourselves. It's not like a rule thing. It's not like, oh, I have to get rid of this thing of my flesh. It's, it's here, I'll illustrate it. We were talking about the weight, right? Yesterday. I think Dana was talking about it. So at that moment, I'm looking at the Lord and he's so pure, and he's going to make me like him someday. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shines a light on this garbage I'm carrying. What do I want to do? Get upset? No. I want to take it throw it away. Because that hope that's before me. I hope that's your response. We purify ourselves, not as a legal thing, oh, i got to be perfect. We purify ourselves because of the hope set before us and because He's pure and we want to be like Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch not no unclean thing, that I will be, uh, I will, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Almighty, Lord Almighty. So here's a, a point where Paul <clears throat> is going back to the scripture where God is talking to his people and said, Look, I want to be your people. I want to be with you. And just shed that stuff and be clean in my midst and not only that I'm going to be your father and you're going to be my sons and daughters which in the Old Testament this is very dramatic you know news and of course Jesus Christ is the one who has made God the Father our father personally so right at this moment Paul is writing to the Corinthians right at this moment he reminds them that here is God the Father who's brought them into this personal relationship. We're in this relationship. He's your, your sons and daughters, your fathers. Then he says, therefore, having these promises where God is doing all of that, 
Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You get it? All that the Lord, that we're going to go meet the Lord and all that He's doing in our relationship, our response is to cleanse ourselves, to get rid of that which is of the flesh. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, that's a profound phrase. <laughs> Perfecting holiness. In other words, His holiness being worked out in us. Not because we're working really hard at it, but because we're letting the Lord do His thing. Letting His holiness be manifest. Letting His life be manifest. And we want to do this because of what He's setting before us, don't we? And now come back to the verse that really is the main verse for this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Well, verse 10 is what we've been speaking about. Verse 10 is, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's been our focus this morning. You and I must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each way may receive the things done in the body according to that which he has done, whether good or bad. But notice what's on Paul's heart just in the phrase before. Verse 9, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we're going to meet him. In other words, because I know I'm going to meet the Lord, I'm going to be on that blue X before the Lord. I want to please him now. I want to please him every day. I I was going to tell you something, but then I would tell you, and then then it's between me and the Lord, and then that wouldn't be anyway. I'm not going to. Uh, be pleasing to Him. That's a very. Sometimes we think Christianity is complicated. The world is complicated. Satan makes everything complicated. Truth is complicated, but the Lord's way is never complicated. All right. So you're like, ah, oh, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do. Okay, please Him. That's two words. Can you remember that? Please Jesus. That works as a prayer, doesn't it, too? Please, Jesus. Please, anyway. Uh, John, chapter 4, verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. We'll just stop there. John 4. Uh, although, that's, is that, that's 1 John. 1 John 4, right? 17. Yeah. The one disappeared. Somebody confirm? 1 John 4, 17. Love is perfected. Okay. Love is perfected among us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. So now think of this. When we come to this ex- moment of our lives, are we going to be bold before the Lord or are we going to be ashamed? Are we going to cower before the Lord and just think of and have so much of our lives is just yuck? I mean, it's just, are we going to be bold? And what's he say here? Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness 
in the day of judgment. Now there he's speaking of love being perfected. Again, love being worked out and manifest. The life of Christ in us being manifest. And as we see that happening, we will be bold in that day. And this talks about us being bold and, and because we're being in that position of Christ um, in the world in the next statement. But also let's go to back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And verse 24. Which we looked at a lot yesterday with Daniel's help. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain, <coughs> you may obtain it. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Now Daniel shared a lot of light about the crown. But I just want to talk just the simple fact. Paul's point here is that when you're in a race, the point of it is to win. Right? You don't go in a race and go, well, I'm just here for the exercise. Uh... Or uh, I'm just here to exercise. Or I like I like running behind so and so. I like watching him. You know, run ahead of me, eat his dust. No, you want to win. Now, when it, when Paul does this analogy, he says, "But one receives a prize, so run as if you may may obtain it." One big difference from the race, because Daniel talked about really, you just want to win it. You know, bronze and silver aren't so important. But in this race, it's more like a marathon. Like <clears throat> New York City Marathon, if you're the 20th person or the 50th person or even the 100th person and you finish that race, well, you've won. Do you agree? I would have because I've never done it. and I. So you've won. This race is more about that. But Paul's point is here is there is a prize and you're running for that prize. That's Paul's point. And as we've been saying here today, God is going to reward us. He's putting out this promise that he wants to reward us. And we're running for that prize. It's real. And if we run half-hearted and don't really try, then we're going to miss out. It doesn't mean we won't spend eternity with him. It doesn't mean he's not our Savior. But we're going to miss out on something. Because the Lord, in his economy or whatever, has set up responsibilities and things that will be a reward for those who serve him in this life. So, let us run the race. And then, of course, if we have that attitude, then we're going to be more serious about the things that, that we're going to get in shape. You know, we're, we're, we're not going to let things interfere that we might be disqualified, as he says at the end of verse 27. We don't want to be disqualified from this race because we're sidetracked by sin or distractions or or making things into idols and not following our, our Lord. So, to, uh, to conclude this time, um, well, let me share one more verse and then we'll, then we'll, then we'll uh, have some uh, conclude it. One more verse from Isaiah 49, <clears throat> if you'll turn there with me. 
Isaiah 49, there's a passage in here. It's kind of subtle. There's a lot going on, but um, it's about a dialogue between the Lord and a servant. And um, I'll just start reading verse 1, but we're really going to point out some things from verse 4. It starts out, Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother, he has made mention of my name, and he has made my mother mouth. Sorry, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. And his quiver, he has hidden me. So here, it's the voice of a servant, Isaiah, but clearly it figuratively represents our Lord. Because when we see these words, we see that he made me from my womb. We think of Jesus being born of Mary as a, as a man here on earth. Um, and that, that Jesus' name was, was given to him as the one who's uh, Joshua, or Joshua, the, the, well, Jesus, the Savior. And his mouth is like a sharp sword. Um, so we know that the Lord's words have divided and, and brought truth. Verse 3, And he said to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So the Lord is saying that to his servant. But the servant says in, in verse 4, Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work is with God. So here the servant is having a moment of real doubt. Because the servant's saying to God, I've tried to follow you, I've tried to speak for you, but you know it's not happening. I don't see the fruit. Now, it's hard to imagine, and I, I, I may get corrected by brothers after the meeting, <laughs> but if this is prophetic about our Lord Jesus, imagine how he felt at Gethsemane when he asked for the cup to pass. And he had those 12 motley disciples. One has betrayed him. He's got 11 of them left. They can't even pray. You can't even stay awake to pray. And everything rests in their hands. You can imagine that the man, uh, Jesus, would say in his heart, wow, is this, what it, is this really going to work? You know, it's all come to this. But notice the beautiful phrase here. It, it's very subtle. The beautiful phrase here that he says is, yet surely my just reward is with the Lord. And my work with my God. In other words, the servant's trusting God. Just as Jesus at that moment trusted his father that he would raise him and that he would do all that he intended to do. Um, so let me put it another way. When we think about this moment, right? When we think about this moment facing our judge, I pray that for, most, for all of you, that our concern about this moment when we face Jesus is not whether we'll even be there or not. The concern of this servant is not, am I following God or not? The concern of this servant is, where's the impact? Did I serve you enough? Where's the impact? Where's the fruit? And our hearts should be all about wanting the fruit for the Lord. And trusting that 
that our reward is with Him. We may not see it now, but our reward is with Him and my work is with the Lord and He will bless it. So instead of worrying about whether I'm going to get into heaven, our concern should be about how much fruit, how much value, how much there will be for the Lord for which will be rewarded. Um, But we want those positive results. So, sorry for that little complicated one. But let's spend just a few moments in prayer. And um, I'm going to suggest just private, privately um, that we pray. Those, those of you... No. Um, I'd like you to think about this blue spot up here and anticipate that moment when we'll stand before Him on that day. And imagine you're standing on this spot. If the Lord returns today, how would you feel? If the Lord returns today, how would you do on this spot? How do you think it would go? And as you think about that, what do you want to say to the Lord right now? Now, this is private. Just go ahead and pray. What do you want to say to the Lord as you think about that day and your feelings about that day? We're all grateful for 1 John 1.9 that He's faithful to forgive us our sins. And now let's, let's consider our Savior judge. The judge we're going to meet is the Lamb slain, but He's on the throne. So consider His sinless perfection. Consider that He freed you. Consider the hands that are pierced for you. He's your Savior. So in your own private way, what worship do you want to express to Him right now? Please do that. And now let's consider that Christ longs to reward you on that day. He longs to do it. He wants to give out rewards. And Paul responded to this fact by saying he wanted to please Him. Paul says, I'm trying to please Him. Right now, what longing or desire do you have? What do you want to express right now to your Lord who wants to reward you? If you have something to say to Him, please do.
Father, we just want to thank you together for our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that our Savior is also the one who said that he's returning and that we will meet him. And there will be a judgment seat, but how we worship you that it's a judgment seat of reward and that we can look forward to that day. Lord, we want to commit our lives to you that we would please you now such that there will be much reward, much um, for you then. And we thank you that you're the one who calls us, you're the one who enables, you're the one who does these things in our lives as we learn and grow. And we give our lives to you. We don't know how long. uh, We give our lives to you and commit ourselves to you. We want to serve you wholeheartedly. In Jesus Christ's name. I I would suggest... um, that we close the time with singing a chorus together and then we'll be finished. So we're going to ask that we sing um, The Servant King.